Shabbat Shalom. My name is Noel. This is the Unexpected Cosmology. And uh, let me give you a, a quick tour here of my trailer, my fifth wheel that I'm in tonight. Over the last, I don't know, four, five, six weeks, I've been visiting different hotel rooms for my my office. Uh, tonight, though, I'm given my, uh, my trailer here on the beach. The wind is howling right now. Uh, the, the tide, the ocean is right outside. And I don't know if you can hear it or not. Uh, hopefully my internet is good. Uh, we'll give this a try. So uh, anyways, I've got tons of material to cover tonight. This is the eighth week of uh, the Torah portions. We're in Genesis chapter 32. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, one thing that's really been hitting me this year is the family dynamics. Uh, first with Abraham and his two sons, Yishmael and Yitchak. And then with Yitchak and his two sons, Yaakov and Esau, of course, he had twins. And th there's a lot of um, a lot of tension in these in these family dynamics. First and foremost, for all the parents out there, we see that. And uh, of course, we can all see it maybe with our siblings as well. But, you know, they each have these two sons and only one of them decided to live a holy set apart life and pursue Yahuwah. The other one just wasn't interested. And this is like, this is Abraham, right? Like, you know, it's always this idea of, oh, if, if we got to meet Abraham, we would show the guy respect. But, you know, like with, when it came to, uh, to Ishmael, like he was just his dad. It was just his, just his dad. Everyone has a dad. Right. And it's the same thing with Yitchak for, for Esau and uh, Yaakov, it was just their dad, you know, it, like anyways. Um, but then you see, <clears throat> another thing we see in this, we've been seeing in this series is that uh, one of the things that's been painful for me, I'm a second son. I'm not the oldest son. And uh, Yitchak, I'm sorry, Yit, uh, I can't even get all the names. Are. Yaakov was also a younger son. Uh, the older was Esau. And Esau had no desire to... Uh, follow Yah or his ways, Yahuwah. He didn't go to the school of Shem. And yet Yitshak had this endearment towards Esau. Esau was, uh, he was the poster boy and he was the one that was, you know, trying to conform to the image of his father, but it was all fake, right? Where Yitshak was, uh, I'm sorry, I, I'm getting all wrong tonight. Yaakov was the one who was truly pursuing Yahuwah and he didn't have, you know, the, the relationship with his father. Just some really interesting dynamics going on here. Now, Last week, we went through the the 20 years that Yaakov went to live with Laban, uh, Laban in, back in Mesopotamia. Hold on here. I'm going to uh, add a couple. Uh, okay. Change that up there. And, and so Esau, he cares so little about his spiritual inheritance, as you guys know, that he, he sold it for soup, bread and soup. For, for lentils. And, uh, and so as the older brother, I, I think he was hanging around. Oh, yeah. And secondly, he goes and he marries uh, Canaanite women, uh, Hittites. Um, these are the, the very people that uh, Abraham and then Yitzhak are like, do not marry among them. These are the, the, the children of Ham through the curse, through the ancestral situation. And this is how little he cares about his own lineage, I mean, his spiritual lineage or anything, right? So I think he's he's waiting around. You know, he still has 
daddy's love, right? He's back over there with Yitzhak. Uh, and he's like, okay, Yaakov, he's left for 20 years. He doesn't really care about his, he took my wife, Leah, remember, he, he may have been uh, engaged by default to Leah. He never went and claimed her, but he's like, you know, he's gone. He's not coming back, but now Yaakov is coming back. And some things within him are starting to stir again. I think he thought maybe he was in the clear for a while. All right. Well, let's get into this tonight. I'm going to have to lose. Um, every so often, I'll try to post some of what you guys are writing on here. It's great to see you all. So Shabbat Shalom, everyone who's coming in right now. All right. Now, why do I have a picture of the moon map on here? Some of you are thinking... What kind of Bible study did I uh, get involved in right now? Well, you're going to see in a second why I'm bringing this up. Uh, I, it seems like a lot of people right now, they, it's no secret that I have put a lot of research into the Millennial Kingdom. Okay, Now, a lot of people, they, they come up to me and I get, I get just emails this week. They're like, Noel, you do really great research. I love your research but I still don't get it. I don't get why you're saying that the Millennial Kingdom started 500 years after 7080 or the whereabouts. It should have started right away. You know, why, why are you doing this? Right now? It's not, it's not my theory. Just so you guys know, this is something that I'm just reading in these texts and the texts are telling me this and it all fits like a glove, but this is the big component that is missing in all this. And this will tie into uh, the days of Jacob's trouble, Yaakov trouble. Okay, just so you guys know. So right here, we're looking at a, uh, actually a picture of the moon. Um, and uh, you can see there that, you know, the, the gray spots on the moon, these are actually the continents of the earth. Now, if you can see clearly, uh, I don't know if my mouse is showing, that these red lines going around is actually the circuit of the sun and the moon. All right, so this is our portion of the realm. It goes right, this is actually the AE map and uh, the classic flat earth map. And amazingly, when you look at all this land over here on this other side, it's uh, the person calls it a vista uh, or terra vista. There is more land over here than in our entire realm. Okay. Now, a lot of this here close to the, the red line would be icy. That would be Antarctica, a lot of darkness and ice. But you get back over here, and this is what's called the blessed land. Uh, and the or the hidden wilderness. This is a huge chunk of land. This land back here is probably still all. If you gather all the continents in our known realm together, it probably fits. There's a lot of land. All right. So you're looking at this right here. This is uh, America and South America. Yes, it does look a little bit different. This is so close to the AE map. It's it's tried and true. But yes, it has changed a little bit. You have to look at. We've had two world floods. We had the the flood in the days of, um, uh, was it Jared? The, the flood in the days of Jared, which took out about a third of the earth. And then we had Noah's flood, which took out the whole earth. And the landscapes changed. So this moon map here, this picture, uh, was probably, theoretically, I say it was probably taken in the, uh, the creation week. And uh, on the fourth day, a picture of the earth, what it looked like at that time. Uh, here you see Hyperborea. And this would be, you know, the North Pole right here. Um, so... You know, the, the, when I talk about the hidden realm, the hidden wilderness, they're like, oh, Hyperborea. I'm like, no, that's still actually in our, even though as mysterious, this is how little we know about the earth, guys. This is so mysterious, and yet it's in the center of our section of the earth, and it's it's hidden from us, right? All right. Well, this is, uh, so right here, here's a close-up 
of Terra Vista, uh, as the map maker calls it here. Uh, I call this the hidden wilderness, the blessed realm, the undying lands, to give it different names. Uh, but this is this is the this is the kingdom, guys. This is where the kingdom is at. So when people say, "Oh no, you're saying the kingdom came to an end," to an end. no, it, it didn't. It's, it's still here. It's physically there. I'm going to show you some scripture verses about that. All right. So this week, uh, a lot of these questions come up because we read in uh, Jeremiah or Yirmiyahu chapter 30 about the days of Jacob's trouble. You guys all know about it. It says the word that came to Jeremiah or Yirmiyahu from Yahuwah saying, thus speaks Yahuwah Elohim of Yasharel saying, write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says Yahuwah, that I will bring back from captivity my people Yashril and Yehuda, says Yahuwah. And I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers. And the key here is the land I gave to their fathers, right? So immediately the default is going to be um, the actual land of uh, modern-day Israel. And they shall possess it. Now these are the words that Yahuwah spoke concerning Yashuel and Yehuda. For thus says Yahuwah, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor, and all faces turn pale? Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. And there it is right there. And it is the time of Yaakov's trouble, or Jacob's trouble, that he shall be saved out of it. Now, People, uh, you know, the, the big thing is that this hasn't been fulfilled yet, right? It was written, what, 2,600 years, 2,700 years ago? I don't know how long ago. A long time ago, and apparently hasn't been fulfilled yet. Well, I'm here to tell you that it was fulfilled by 70 AD, all right? And so the big question is like, well, Noel, if, uh, uh, you know, if this happened, then why aren't they in the land? Well, they did go to the land, all right? Um, the thing is, when Revelation ends... However, you even if you even if you come to the conclusion that Revelation hasn't happened yet, it ends uh, with the land being a land of devils and demons, and it's it's forsaken. All right. Um, so let's look here at Hebrews. Uh, everybody knows this passage. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Yitzhak and Yaakov, the heirs with him with the same promise. So, of course, we're in Yaakov this week. We were in Yitzhak a couple weeks ago. For he looked for a city with, which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is Allah Hayam. Of course, this city, uh, the foundations were there from the foundations of the earth, right? So he was looking for a land of a spiritual land that was not that promised land. All right. It was a land beyond that land. This is an interesting passage here. Um, so what generally happens is when people say that in 70 AD uh, that or in the, we're about to when uh, Yahushua HaMashiach was seen in the clouds over Yerushalayim, that this was him coming in his kingdom, which is true. I fully agree with that. But they have this idea that then it would have been that land would have been the kingdom. And it's like, well, where, where's where is that land? Right. It, it's it's not there. Even if you say it's in Utah, it's not there anymore. I I've been to Utah. I don't see Yahusha there. I don't see I don't see the camp of the saints. So where is it? Right. Well, look what he says right here. And I guys, I gave presentations on this. Uh, I need to give a like a new presentation on this. Make you this into a video just to give to people to explain when they talk about this. Uh, you know where where 
where is the kingdom? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. So Yehuda HaMashiach is speaking to his Talmudim, his disciples, and saying, I am coming for you. He's not coming for them in a future generation, thousands of years later. You know, we've been through this before. He's coming for them then, in that generation. And I receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So what he is saying here, when he comes and establishes his kingdom, he's not going to be establishing right where he grabs them. He's going to be taking them elsewhere to somebody somewhere else. Well, where is that place? Is it in heaven or on earth? Well, you know, I'm here to tell you it was on the earth. So this next passage is, um, oh, this is interesting, fragments of papyrus. So this is not scripture, but uh, this individual, as I pointed out in, in past, he was the, the an amazing source uh, who actually knew the apostles. And almost all of his work has been scrubbed, almost all of it. And you have a lot of the early fathers talking about this guy. Um, but it's like, well, what did this guy have to say that, you know, his books have been erased? I mean, what we do have, the only quotes we have of him come through uh, some of the early fathers. All right. So this is one of them. As the presbyters say, then those who are deemed worthy of an abode in heaven shall go there. Others shall enjoy the delights of paradise and others shall uh, possess the splendor of the city. He's talking about a three plier approach. There's the city, there's paradise and there's heaven. All right. The city just so you guys know, is on the earth, all right? The paradise is in the third heaven, and then there's um, something above that. But it's 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 a it's a tire system that is not equal to everybody. Depending on how somebody lived their life, they're either going to the city, they're going to paradise, that's Eden, or above. For everywhere the Savior will be seen, according as they shall be worthy who see him. So um, if you're actually in this, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you another reference that backs this up. But if you're in New Jerusalem on the earth, yes, you will see Messiah, but not as you won't have the same presence with Yahuwah as you would in paradise. And the people in paradise uh, won't have the same experience as those above. And this goes completely against modern Christianity. You know, that's the fact that we're all just living life however you want. We're all equals. We're all going to show up in the same place. You know, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised. When they make it in the, in the courts of the Goyim, because they spent their whole lives bragging about how they're a Gentile and they don't need to be a Hebrew. It's like, okay, fine. You go to the court of the, the, the Gentiles. They have that. That's what you wanted in life. That's what you get in eternity. Um, so he says here, the first will be taken up into the heavens. The second class will dwell in paradise and the last will inhabit the city. The city is on the earth. All right. Now, I have changed my opinion considerably. Uh, whether or not the city has come down is not a big deal to me, but I do think uh, New, uh, New Jerusalem came down to the earth uh, a long time ago. I think it's here. All right, so this comes from the Visions of Paul, chapter 21. And uh, context here is that Paul, Paul has been taken to the ends of the earth. <clears throat> For lack of time, I don't have a lot of time. To, I'm already 15 minutes into this, like Bowser's not going to make it tonight. Uh, he's been taken to the end of the earth. He talks about how he got, he goes beyond where the, the circuit of the sun and it's total darkness. And then he goes beyond the darkness uh, to the light. And there's just this brilliant light from heaven. And he's in where I showed you Terra Vista. He's in the land beyond the circuit. And I said, <clears throat> excuse me. And I said, Adonai, what is this place? And he said to me, this is the land of promise, the promised land. 
the land, the spiritual land of promise that Abraham looked for, where the city is. Hast thou never heard what is written? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The Ruachoth, and this is the, the earth they're inheriting. The Ruachoth, therefore, of the just, when they have gone out of the body, are meanwhile dismissed to this place. And I said to the angel, then this land will be manifested before the time. The angel answered and said to me, when Hamashiach, whom thou preach, shall come to reign, then by the sentence of Elohim, the first earth will be dissolved, and this land of promise will then be revealed. And it will be like dew or cloud, and then Adonai, Yehusha HaMashiach, the king eternal, will be manifested and will come with all his saints dwell in it, and he will reign over them a thousand years, and they will eat of the good things which I shall now show unto thee. Um, <clears throat> of course, there's other passages that uh, during the Millennial Kingdom that this land is uh, known to the rest of the world, and then it is uh, closed up. They close, uh, they, they close it off when the Millennial Kingdom comes to an end. And, of course, this is where we get globe earth deception. Uh, they created the globe in order to make the world a much smaller place, right? All right. Hopefully that was helpful for some of you because uh, I got so many questions about this this week. And so you see right here, uh, showing again, Terra Vista, this is the land that is, uh, according to so many books I've read, that the, the, the lands where the, the, the dead go, uh, the righteous, and uh, they inhabit that land. This is the land of promise. If New Jerusalem, you could do the measurements on this. If it would just be a small little square on there, I mean, it would. You know, you would. Yeah, it. it there's plenty of room, guys. Plenty of room. All right. So I don't see the big deal. All right. Well, let's start with uh, Palo Barashia. Thank you, guys. For the rest of you who uh, got through that with me. You're thinking, what kind of what kind of Bible study is this? Well, Paleo Bereshia 32, 3 through 32, 31, the meeting of Yaakov and Esau. Uh, Yaakov, then Yaakov sent messengers before himself to his brother, uh, Al uh, Esau, or Asha, Ashawa, at Mount uh, Shair in the land of uh, Edom. And he commanded them, saying, You shall say this to Adonai Esau. Yaakov, your servant, say thus, I have lodged with Laban and stayed until now, and there are with me bullocks and asses and sheep and serving men and women. So I have sent to inform my Adon to find favor in your eyes. And again, I kind of feel like he's saying here that, you know, he's he's trying to tell his brother, I haven't forsaken my inheritance. I'm coming back. I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know, we were supposed to go marry these women. I went back there and I was with my family the whole time. I didn't go off on some, you know, pleasure. I wasn't going finding myself in the world or anything like that. When the messengers returned to Yaakov, they, re they reported, we went to your brother, to Esau, and he is also coming to call upon you and 400 men with him. Uh-oh. Yaakov consequently was very greatly afraid to hear the 400 people coming. Like, why, why, would, why would he do that? And it distressed him. So he divided the people who were with them and the sheep and the cattle and the camels into two camps. Because he said, if, if Esau comes to the one camp and strikes it, then there will be the other to fly to. Yaakov also said, Allahayam of my father, Abraham, and Allahayam of my father, Yitzhak, Yahuwaha, who said to me, return to the land of your birth and I will be good to you. So he's invoking the promise now. He's like, He's like, I am, I'm under the protection of Yahuwah here. Oh, Yahuwah here. Esau doesn't seem to care about this, Elohim. Uh, I do. And he's promised that it, he's told me to come back. He says it's going to be good to me. But he's still like 
you know, the other thing that really strikes me in this is that when we're dealing with, we're dealing with three generations and, you know, there, there's like a saying, I don't know how true it is. I kind of think it's true that if there's like a revival in one generation, like a huge revival, the next generation, their children are going to coast through it. Like you, they're going to kind of hang on to it, but the third generation will fall away. And so we're in the third generation now. We got Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov. According to those standards, Yaakov should be the one to fall away. And it's interesting that in each generation that Yahuwah is, is kind of, he's recreating a story for them, right? A story of survival. And what we're about to see here, I think, is especially important for Leah and Rachel. Because Leah and Rachel, remember last week, they were still kind of on the fence about Yahuwah. Like, he's like, this is this Elohim over there in Canaan. We're not in Canaan. We've got these other Elohim or these other Elohim over here. What we're going to see this week, they still have their idols, guys. They haven't given up their idols. And so I kind of think that what is about to happen was necessary for uh, Leah and Rachel to see this, that the they are on, they married the right guy, that he's he's got the right Allah to protect them. And also for their children, for, I think there is a, uh, 11 children at this point because Benjamin hasn't been born yet. So uh, they have Dinah. Well, they have Dinah. So that'd be 12 and then they have 13. But Allah, I am of my father, Abraham. Okay. Uh, well, um, okay. I am unworthy of all the mercies. <clears throat> I love this line. I am unworthy of all the mercies and of all the support which you have shown to me. What a great prayer. I mean, if you want to get Yahuwah to listen to you, Make sure to let him know you're not worthy. He's he's worthy of everything. We're not worthy of anything. <clears throat> you have shown to uh, to me when I, your servant, pass over this torrent with my staff, and I am returning as two camps. Grant me a deliverance from the hand of my brother. Oh, I've got something in my throat tonight. From the hand of Esau, for I fear that he will come and cut off the mothers with children. But you have said, supporting i will support you and i will make your race like the sand of the sea which cannot be counted for quantity so he's you know invoking the promise of yahuwah uh, and saying you know it, it's all on, i can't do anything like you have to come through with your word because there's nothing i can do about it i can there's nothing i can do to assure that my children are going to be like the sands of the sea it looks like they're all about to be killed off so he rested there that night and then he took presents in his hand, presents for his brother Esau, 100 goats and 20 he goats, 100 sheep and 20 rams, 30 suckling camels with their fowls, uh, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 she asses and 10 asses. And he put them under the hands of servants separately, troop by troop, and said to his servants, go before me and spread a space between troop and troop. He also ordered the foremost saying, if you meet Esau, my brother, and he asks you, who are you and where are you going? And whose are these before you? You shall reply from your servant, from Yaakov. A present he sends to Adon, uh, Adoniah, to Esau. And look also, he is behind us. He ordered the second also with the third and with all the servants who followed after them, repeating, you shall say the same words to Esau if he meets with you. And you shall also say to him, see, your servant Yaakov is behind us. For he remarked, I will pacify him first by presents that I send to him. And afterwards, I will see by his face whether I can stand before him. Thus, he sent presents over before him. But he himself stopped that night in the camp. However, he arose at night and took his two women 
and the and the second two women of course remember he had uh, the the two uh, uh, handmaidens Israel has four mommies, let's put it that way. And his 11 lads and crossed the ford of uh, Yabawak, uh, Yabawak. And of course, they say 11 lads. You know, as I said, he has a daughter as well, but they don't seem to mention her. So he took them and passed them over the brook and sent over all who were with them. Yaakov, however, was left alone by himself. And a man wrestled with them until the breaking of dawn. He saw how... Who do you guys? I'm curious who you guys think the uh, the man he wrestled with is. Um, I'll read you a text, a couple of texts that gives a very maybe different perspective than a lot of people are thinking. He saw, however, that he was not equal to him, so he touched him with the hollow of the thigh and struck the hollow of the thigh of Yaakov while wrestling with him. Then he said, "Release me, for the darkness is going." But he replied, "I will." So this strange man is saying, "Release me." For the darkness is going. The morning is coming, and for whatever reason, he doesn't want to be there in the morning. Uh, but he replied, I will not let you go unless you block me. Now, uh, I personally think that I do not believe uh, personally that this is Yahuwah. Maybe it is. I don't think it is. Uh, the, the very idea that this person needs to be gone by morning is because I believe that this person, being an angel, uh, had to present himself at the hour of prayer or at the at the appointed hour i think it's like five or six or seven in the morning or something like that like they had to be up in front of the throne and so it's like you're not you know you're you're holding me back here right you need to let me go so uh yaakov was like i'm not releasing you unless you bless me then he said what is your name and he said yaakov when he responded, your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, but Yashuel, for you have contended with Allah Hayam and with men and have been equal to it. Now, I guess you could argue that maybe only Allah Hayam or uh, Yahuwah can give him the name Yashuel here. Um, but um, who, is the, who is the protector of Yashuel, right? Who's the protector? It's Michael and uh, Uriel. Uriel is the other one. And, um, well, well, you'll see what I'm talking about when we get there. <clears throat> then Yaakov asked and said, tell me your name. And he replied, to what purpose do you ask my name? But then he uh, brought him there. Yaakov uh, consequently called the name of that place Fanuel. Uh, and uh, that is Owl's face. By the way, Fanuel is also an angel, just so you know. <clears throat> And I think Uriel, um, I think Uriel is Fanuel, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I just thought of that, and I, I need to fact check that. But maybe somebody could look that up uh, and write it in the comment section or whatever. But I think they're the same. For I have seen Allah Hayam face to face and preserved my life. And the son, and that's actually often said about Uriel too, by the way. And the sun arose on him as he crossed over from Fanuel, but he limped on his thigh. Therefore, the children of Yashrael do not eat the sinew nerve from the foot to the thigh until this day, for he struck Yaakov in the sinew nerve at the hollow of the thigh. All right. So now we're going to see a really, I got like an itch on my nose. I don't know what's going on. Um, this is a fascinating story in the book of Yashur. And uh, we're going to get back to the, the person he wrestled with in a second here. Um, 
for those of you who have never read the book of Jasher, you're in for a treat. And this is um, uh, as he's crossing the river to confront his, when he sends the parties in front of him uh, to the messengers to Esau. And Yaakov ceased praying to Yahuwah, and he divided the people that were with him with the flocks and cattle into two camps. We already read that. And he gave the half to the care of Demesek, the son of Eliezer. That's kind of an interesting little detail there. So remember, Eliezer was the, he was the, he was a son of Nimrod, either a direct son or the lineage of Nimrod. He was probably a prince of Damascus. He was set up there to pay tribute to Nimrod. But uh, understanding, he, he, he had true faith that he understood that uh, he, as a son of Ham, that he was to serve the son of Shem, uh, and he served Abraham, amazing man. So now we see that his son, it, some of his children uh, went off to Sodom, they died, uh, they didn't make it. But this son right here is also in the service of Yaakov. And that's really cool that he was there, I guess, that whole 20 years. We never heard about him, but he was quietly serving them. Abraham's servant for a camp with his children. And the other half he gave to the care of his brother, Ilianus, the son of Eliezer. So there is another son right there. We got two sons that are serving Yaakov to be for a camp with his children. And he commanded them, saying, Keep yourselves at a distance with your camps and do not come too near each other. And if Esau come to one camp and slay it, the other camp at a distance from it will escape them. And Yaakov tarried there that night. And during the whole night, he gave his servants instructions concerning the forces and his children. And Yahuwah heard the prayer of Yaakov on that day. It's always really exciting to hear that he heard the prayer. I mean, this is the prayer where he's like, I'm not worthy, right? <clears throat> and during the whole night, he gave his servants instructions concerning the forces and his children. And Yahuwah and Yahuwah heard the prayer of Yaakov on that day. And Yahuwah then delivered Yaakov from the hands of his brother Esau. And Yahuwah sent three angels of the angels of heaven. And they went before Esau and came to him. So we're seeing angels on the loose here. And these angels appeared into Esau and his people as 2,000 men riding upon horses furnished with all sorts of war instruments. And they appeared in the sight of Esau and all his men to be divided into four camps with four chiefs to them. So I always imagine that if this were made into a movie, like the Book of Jasher's made into a movie, this would be like the, the like the LSD psych psychedelic scene. Like, you know, Esau's on something. You know, he drank the Kool-Aid or something. He ate some mushrooms. And because I always imagine, so these three angels, okay, are divided into... Um, uh, four different camps of uh, with four chiefs of 2,000 men, all right? So this vast army, these three angels doing it, four camps. And so, the, so let's see what happens here. Uh, and one camp went on, and they found Esau coming with 400 men towards his brother Yaakov. And uh, wait, did I just – I just lost that. Okay. And this camp ran toward Esau and his people and terrified them. So this whole 400 men running towards Esau. And Esau fell off the horse in alarm. And all his men separated from him in that place for they were greatly afraid. And the whole of the camp shouted after them when they fled from Esau. And all the warlike men answered saying, Surely we are servants of Yaakov, who is the servant of Allah Hayam, and who then can stand against us? And Esau... And Esau said into, okay, so I imagine, this is what I was saying, it's like this like psychedelic scene. I imagine like these 400 men 
they all turn their head at the same time and they all speak. Like they all say the same thing because it's like one voice coming out of all of them. And, uh, and Esau is just like flipping out at this. And Esau said unto them, Oh, then my Adonai and brother Yaakov is your Adonai, whom I have not seen for these 20 years. And now that I have this day come to see him, do you treat me in this manner? And the angels answered him saying, As Yahuwah liveth, were not Yaakov of whom thou speakest thy brother, we had not let one remaining from me and thy people, but only on account of Yaakov we will do nothing to them. And this, uh, and it's interesting that that's actually a true message because we see the same thing uh, later when Moshe and Yashirel is passing by Edom, and it's the same thing. Like they're not to hurt them, but it's really on account of Yashirel uh, that they are to spare Esau or Edom. And this camp passed from Esau and his men and it went away. And Esau and his men had gone from them about a league when the second camp came toward him with all sorts of weapons. And they also did unto Esau and his men as the first camp had done to them. And when they had left it to go on, behold, the third camp came toward him and they were all terrified. And Esau fell off the horse and the whole camp cried out and said, surely we are the servants of Yaakov, who is the servant of Allah, Allah and who can stand against us. This is like, guys, this is an amazing war tactic. Uh, it, it's almost like um, if you can think like a, of a movie Western and, you know, like you have like, you know, it, almost like the Magnificent Seven or something, but you have like two or three cowboys with a rifle and they've got like the enemy out there. And so they have to make them think that there's more of them. Right. So you, you take a shot, you, you, you know, maybe leave a hat somewhere, you run, take another shot. Right. And you make it look like, you know, like three or four guys is like 20 or 30. Right. It, it really incredible how these three angels are, are it, it, it wouldn't even seem so supernatural if it was just three angels divided into three camps, but we got three angels divided into four camps. And it makes you even think about like, I mean, think about how this works in our world. Like when we think about an angel, we think about one soul being, what if, what if, you know, we could be out on the street and there could be 20 or 30 people out there, all one entity. I mean, think about that. I, I've talked about this before that, uh, that with um, whole galaxies out there, you know, when you, that this may be like a, a unique type of creature or constellations. You know, we talk about stars are divine, but what if an actual constellation like Orion, what if that is one entity divided up into all these different stars? We're kind of seeing that play out here. And Esau again answered them saying, Oh, then Yaakov, my Adonai and your Adonai is my brother. And for 20 years, I have not seen his countenance and hearing this day that he was coming. I went to stay to meet him. And do you treat me in this manner? Apparently, uh, the this angel realized that he hadn't got uh, his sense knocked into him yet because they had to keep, uh, like, obviously, that's not why he came. And they answered him and said unto him, As Yahuwah liveth, were not Yaakov thy brother, as thou didst stay, say, we had not left a remnant from thee and thy men. But on account of Yaakov, of whom thou speakest, uh, speakest being thy brother, we will not meddle with thee or thy men. Okay, I think I'm going to, uh, for lack of time, great story um i'm gonna move on and uh i think at the very end here um they they have really quickly here in jasher it just goes over really briefly the story of how he wrestles with the strange man and it says and when he passed all belonging to him over the brook so everyone went ahead of him the angels went ahead then the the two camps yaakov was left by himself and a man met him, and he wrestled with him that night until the breaking of the day. And the hollow of Yaakov's thigh was out of joint through wrestling with him. I, 
they just kind of pass over it really quickly. I really think it's interesting that Yaakov was alone. I mean, I would think he would have servants and other people going like, no, I'm not leaving you. I'm to the death. I'm going to be here and defend you. And he's just like, no, I'm going to confront my brother alone. It's just going to be me and him. He might have 400 dudes with him, but just going to be me that's going to confront him. A really interesting uh, what's going on. All right, so here we see from Legends of the Jews. Let's see what this says. There's a reason I put this in here today. Yaakov bore in mind the promise of Allah Hayam that he would bring him back to his father's house. Oh, yeah, I know why. Uh, I think this is... Um, okay, yeah. Yaakov bore in mind the promise of Allah Hayam that he would bring him back to his father's house in peace. Yet the report about his brother's purpose alarmed him greatly. A pious man may never depend upon promises of earthly good. Uh, Allah Hayam doesn't. So the idea here is that if he were, if he were not a righteous man, uh, he wouldn't be having this trouble. He would be a world, worldly man, and um, he would be in with uh, Esau. And uh, I think we we're all, you know, all of us when we're coming closer to Allah Hayam, when we're uh, taking the ancient path and being obedient to the commands, as Yahuwah told us, that. Uh, you know, we're we're finding trouble with our relations, right? So that's what it basically says there, that a pious man may never depend upon promises of earthly good. Allah Hayam does not keep the promise if he is... Oh, this is really interesting too. Uh, Allah Hayam does not keep the promise if he is guilty of the smallest conceivable trespass. And Yaakov feared that he might have forfeited happiness by reason of a sin committed by him. Kind of interesting to hear this from the religions of the Jews because, you know, that... The Jews have a reputation of believing that uh, you're you're good to go if you're a Jew, and they're actually not saying that here. So that that, that really struck me, and they're saying that, uh, and this is you know this is going to be controversial. Some of you are just going to tune this out like that's it. I'm you know going to another YouTube channel or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of good arguments out there to be had that uh, a lot of the promises that uh, Yahuwah made with Yahshua were conditional, um, including that being the land of eternal inheritance. You know, we know that he divorced Yasharel. He divorced the 10 tribes. So clearly there was a condition. Now he came through on his end, but there's still consequences. And then we see in um, Revelation that the whore of Babylon is um, is also divorced. Uh, it, it can only be a whore if there was a marriage. So the whoever was married to Yahuwaha, when, who was that? That was Judah and Levi. Uh, they, drunk, they drunk from the cup. What is the cup? The cup we're going to get to later on this year is the uh, the, the the cup of jealousy, proving that that Yehuda had been adulterous, and they're kicked out of the land. So um, yeah, and it's great here to see that that Yaakov realized that he's like, man, I might have sinned. There's like I need to get right with my my with Allah Hayam here. Moreover, moreover, he was anxious lest Esau be the one favored by Allah Hayam, and as much as he had these twenty years been fulfilling two divine commands that Yaakov had to disregard. Esau had been living in the Holy Land, right? The land of the spiritual inheritance that he forsook, but he was still living in it. Yaakov had left, though he was doing according to what his parents had said. Yaakov, outside of it, the former had been in attendance upon his parents, the later dwelling at a distance from them. And as much as he feared defeats, Yaakov also feared the reverse, that he might be victorious over Esau, or might even slay his brother, which would be as bad as to be slain by him. And I personally, I think this is spot on, this commentary. This is what reason I'm reading. I mean, Yaakov is going by himself, right? He's not having a bunch of, like, 
like he really wanted to downplay the situation. Like, I look, I don't want violence. I do not want it. You know, it's it's almost like that scene. I quote from this a lot. It's like that scene at the end of Return of the Jedi where, you know, Luke Skywalker, he just throws down his lightsaber and he's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not going to fight you. You know, uh, it, that's what it feels like here. Uh, and he was depressed by another apprehension that his father had died. For he reasoned that Esau would not take such warlike steps against his own brother were his father still alive. That's kind of interesting because we saw earlier that he uh, he said that uh, th this is according to the Aramaic Targum that uh, I think this was last or two weeks ago that uh, he would not uh, he would not make the mistake of Cain killing Abel while Adam was still alive. And so he was going to wait until after Yitchak was dead to kill his brother. And so he's thinking, oh, man, my father's dead. He's not dead. We know he's not dead. Uh, but he's thinking yeah, my father must be dead if he's coming to kill me. When his wives and so he was basically be like, you know what? Kill me, and I'm just going to leave it up to Yahuwah. He made a promise, and he, just like Yitchak, right? Yitchak would have been resurrected from the dead. Maybe Yaakov had the same thought. He, he can resurrect me from the dead if he needs to. But this is an important paragraph here, too. When his wives saw the anxiety that possessed Yaakov, they began to quarrel with him and reproach him for having taken them away from their father's house, from his gods as well. Though he knew that such a danger threatened from Esau, then yeah, and so what's happening here is that this is as much like his wife and children need to be grafted into the story. They need to see why Yahuwah is such a powerful Allah Hayam. And uh, that's why we're going through this whole experience. It's really more for them, I think, than Yaakov. Uh, then then Yaakov determined to apply the th that the three means that might save him from the fate impending. He would cry to Allah Hayam for help, which he did appease Esau's wrath with presence, which he did, and hold himself in readiness for war if the worst came to the worst. I don't know. Well, I don't know about that because it's like, I guess he would have war against, well, I guess that's the, the idea of the two camps, right? That the one camp would fall back to the other and they would prepare for war if it came to it. Such was the prayer of Yaakov when he saw Esau approaching from afar and Alahayam heard his petition and looked upon his tears and he gave him the assurance that for his fate, uh, for his sake, his descendants, too, would be redeemed from all distress. All right. All right. Now I want to talk about something a little bit different here. Uh, and this is going to tie in with the angel, I promise. I was going to tell you that, or the, the man. I just gave it away. But the man who was wrestling with um, with Yaakov. Now, if anybody here wants to say that the man was Yahuwah or Yahusha Mashiach, fine. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, just... I, you know, you guys know how it works with me. I like to go where the evidence leads me, right? Where these texts uh, lead me. And this is what it says. And I was coming up from Syrian Mesopotamia. Uh, Uriel, the angel of Elohim, so there he is, Uriel, came uh, came forth and said that I, Yaakov slash Yasharel, had descended to earth and I had tabernacled among men. What? And that I had been called by the name of Yaakov. All right, so this is talking about pre-existence. So this angel, Uriel, came to meet Yaakov because he knew him in his former existence. He envied me and fought with me because of his envy and wrestled with, wrestled with me, saying that his name and the name that is before every angel was to be above mine. Now, 
this goes completely against Christian thought. I say this all the time because there's this idea that like angels are like these perfect beings or like these, they can't do any wrong. You know, maybe they had a choice in the past to rebel and those are the fallen angels, but now they've chosen good and stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. These angels in Jewish thinking, and this is a, uh, this, let's see, uh, this may be a Christian text, very early, uh, Yosef's prayer. I think that, uh, Okay, it's argued. The the historians don't know if it's Jewish or Christian, uh, which I love it when they can't figure that out. It means that the thoughts were commingled. But their idea is that angels, they they're just like us. They have free will and they could they could they can do wrong, they can mess up. Uh I told him his name and what rank he held among the sons of Elohim. Are you not Uriel the eighth after me? And I, Yashrael the archangel. Of the power of Yahuwah, Yahuwah, and the chief captain among the sons of Elohim of Alahayam, am I not Yashuel, the first minister before the face of Alahayam? And I called upon my Alahayam by the uh, by the inextinguishable name, Yosef's prayer. We also see this another passage from Yosef's prayer. I Yaakov, who is speaking to you, am also Yashuel, an angel of Alahayam and a ruling ruach. Abraham and Yitzchak were created before any work, all right? So saying that uh, Abraham and Yitzhak were some of the first created of all the souls on the earth uh, and that they were, they came down at their appointed time and we could get into that whole study in second and address how that works. But I, Yaakov, who men call Yaakov, but whose name is Yasharel, am he who Elohim called Yasharel, which means a man seeing Allah Hayam because I am the firstborn of every living thing to whom Allah gives life. So according to this, uh, Yaakov was the firstborn of all the souls. Really interesting. And that his name was Yasharel. And so here, it's almost like a remembrance. What's happening is like a remembrance of his former existence that this, this man who's wrestling with him, he's saying, yeah, you may be called Yaakov on this earth, but your actual name, I knew, I knew you. And your name was Yasharel. You were the first ever created. And, you know, you are, you know, the, the spiritual heritage of, of everyone who is returning to the sons of Allah Hayam again, they're going to come through you, through Yashorel. They're going to become sons of Yashorel through Abraham. So really interesting stuff. Um, I put this in here. This is from the Shepherd of Hermes. I'm trying to kind of mix it up tonight. Uh, and this is the story of uh, this. Uh, he's, Hermes is, uh, or Say uh, Hermas here is seeing a vision of this tower being built. I went into a great deal detail with that with uh, Mary Magdalene, how she's also the tower representing the church, um, right? You have uh, Kepha, the the rock, and Miriam, the tower, and rep uh, and also the the woman that you know like comes out of this tower is uh, you know whatever. I won't get into all that, but. In reply, I said to her, this is magnificent and marvelous. So he's speaking to this, this woman, the church, the tower. Okay, And I highly suspect this is Miriam of Bigville that he's speaking to. But who are the six young men who are engaged in building? And she said, these are the holy angels of Allah Hayam who were first created. And to whom Yahuwah handed over his whole creation that they might increase and build up and rule over the whole creation. By these will the building of the tower be finished, but who are the other persons who are engaged in carrying the stones? These are the holy angels of Yahuwah, but the former six are more excellent than these. Okay. Um, and so you see these, uh, the 
first created are the ones that are busy building up the, the church. You guys know this passage here, uh, Exodus, that Yashiro's my son, even my firstborn, right? Okay, what is this from? Uh, Second Ezra. And uh, just go over this really quickly here for lack of time. And we see here, but we, your people whom you have called your firstborn, your Yaqid, beloved son, and your fervent lover are given into their hands. Um, if the world now be made for our sakes, why do we not possess an inheritance with the world? How long should this endure? And, you know, Ezra is asking all these questions and he's he's being told that they were all created before the world. And that, you know, it, it's really, guys, like this kind of stuff when you get into pre-existence, it, when you get into the, like this whole debate, this what we call Calvinism, I hate that term because that's such like misdirection, it's controlled opposition. But when you talk about like, you know, the predestined, those who were predestined, this really angers people. Like there's something about like free will and predestination that just angers people. They get so frustrated over this. I don't get it. I've, I've never gotten why people get so upset over this. Like it's one of those things, you know, you, if you want to, it's either politics or predestination at Thanksgiving, right? And, um, but basically anyone who, according to this, anyone who is entering Yasharel were, you know, among the firstborn. Like they were, they were created for this purpose. And then there seems to be other people that were created not to be a part of it. Just the way it works. Um, we see here, with, you guys see this uh, with Jeremiah and me, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you, right? So we have an example of the prophet that was known beforehand, before he was in the womb. Um, let's see, we see, oh, got to dig into some Paul. People accuse me of quoting from Paul too much, the anti-Paul crowd. Like if you quote from him once, like you quoted too much, you know, um, you know, he has some really good things to say uh, that agrees with the others. According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, right? So we were chosen. If you are in the Asherah, if you were grafted in, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Predetermined us into the adoption of children by Yahushua HaMashiach to himself. That's according to uh, Epistles to the Ephesians 1.4. And, you know, people all have their, their the theological I don't know, guys, why I have such an itch tonight. It's, it's driving me crazy. Um, people will, you know, have all their theological points. Oh, you you don't know what predestination is. No, you're not getting it. Well, when you actually line it up with these other passages in these other books, uh, like the the prayer of Yosef and some of this stuff, uh, it, it, it like it lines up with this thinking. Like you start seeing the bigger picture, what they're talking about. You're like, oh, okay. And then we see this here in Romans chapter 8, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predetermine to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Uh, assumption of Moses, or Moshe, this one's fun. For he has created the world on behalf of his people. So he has a specific people, Yasharel, who he created before the foundation of the world. And then he... You know, he tells Ezra how he sections them off and he assigns them the role when they're supposed to appear. And of course, even though Yaakov was not the first, because you have Abraham, you have Yitzhak, you have people before that, you have Enoch, you have Noah, you have Adam. Apparently, according to that, he was the first mate, right? Okay. Uh, and of course, uh, actually, if you read, you know, the Gospel of Thomas, I didn't include this uh, quote, but. Uh, Yehusha Mashiach says that Yaakov, his brother, uh, James, his brother, uh, he says the world was, heaven and earth was created because of him. And you're like, what? 
Like that's how holy and righteous he was in a former life. Uh, then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, come, ye bless my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for, for you from the foundation of the world. And, uh, of course, here in Revelation, I won't read this whole passage, but at the very end there you could see, um, of course, each of these gates, if anyone is uh, kind of lagging and wanting to cross over uh, to Yasharil and be grafted in, you know, as you guys know, there's 12 gates and they're only named after the different children of Yasharel. And so, uh, you know, it's like, well, which gate, <laughs> which gate are you going to enter if you're not grafted in? You're going to have a hard time. You got to figure that out. Um, and it says at the bottom here and the wall, of the city had 12 foundations. And so foundations, mind you, foundations and in them, the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Um, and so keep in mind that the 12 gates so let's read up verse 12 here there's a great wall and a high uh, a great hall a high wall excuse me and these walls have 12 gates and at the gate at the gates 12 angels and the names written thereon on the gates are the tribes of yasharel the tribes of yasharel guys were before the apostles they were built after the foundations but the foundations had the 12 apostles see how that works so that's crazy, guys. So just how how people are coming down the turnpike of history does not determine when they were created. Apparently, the apostles uh, might have predated the sons of Yasharel. What? Crazy stuff. All right. All right. Now let's read from the legends of the Jews. Uh, if we don't get through all this tonight, that's okay. These, these Torah portions are just killer. I mean, they're just... So much information, and there's no way I can get through them all, as you guys know. But uh, this is kind of interesting because this uh, switches it up. The guy who wrote the Legends of the Jews, uh, he chose certain information. He went with some stuff. He disregarded others. Uh, he does not go with Uriel here. He goes with Michael. But it's interesting that both Michael or Mikael and Uriel are are the two of Yasharil's defenders. So... Um, here we go. The servants of Yaakov went before him with the present for Esau, and he followed with his wives and his children. As he was about to pass over the ford of Jabok, he observed a shepherd who likewise had sheep and camels. This is a really strange story, guys. I don't know where they're pulling this from. If, if anybody knows what book this is being pulled from, please let me know in the comment section. The stranger approached Yaakov and proposed that they should, maybe it's the town, maybe I don't know. The stranger approached Yaakov and, uh, and proposed that they should ford the stream together. So there's something here, guys, about crossing fords where there's like, if you want to call it magic or spiritual things that happen. Because the same thing happened to Abraham and Yitchak when they're trying to cross a ford and Satan is creating floods and stuff. So there's something about the ability to pass a ford where there's like these spiritual entities. Really interesting. Spiritual entities in the water and so on and so forth. And help each other to move. Uh, to, they're helping each other move their cattle over. And Yaakov assented on the condition that his possession should be put across first. In the twinkling of an eye, Yaakov's sheep, sheep were transferred to the other side of the stream by the shepherd. So you see, like something magical is happening here. If you want to use the word magic, but you can say spiritual, uh, scientific beyond our, our understanding. Then the flocks of the shepherd were to be moved by Yaakov. But no matter how many he took over to the opposite bank, always there remained some on the heather shore. There was no end to the cattle, though Yaakov labored all the night through to move this shepherd, the strange man's uh, a cattle and sheep over. 
At last he lost patience, and he fell upon the shepherd and caught him by the throats, crying out, O thou wizard. So he's recognizing there's magic happening. Thou wizard. At night, no enchantment succeeds. And keep in mind, now, he's just coming from Laban. And according to uh, rabbinical tradition, uh, Balaam is uh, like a spiritual descendant of uh, Laban in the sense that he was like his disciple or something. And, of course, Balaam became a great wizard. And uh, Laban was, I guess, a bit of a, a wizard himself. The angel thought very well, let him know once for all with whom he has had dealings. And with his finger, he touched the earth, whence fire burst forth. But Yaakov said, what thou thinkest thus to affright me, who am made holy of fire? Well, that's kind of interesting. So it, it seems like Yaakov is also maybe having like a, I don't know if he's having a remembrance there of his former life being a, a son of fire uh, or a, a mind of fire. The shepherd was no less a personage than the archangel Michael, and in his combat with Yaakov, he was assisted by the whole host of angels under his command. He was on the point of inflicting a dangerous wound upon Yaakov when Alahayam appeared and all the angels, even Michael himself, built their strength ooze away. Seeing that he could not prevail against Yaakov, the archangel touched the hollow of his thigh and injured him, and Alahayam rebuked him. He rebuked Michael, saying, Dost thou act? as is seemly when thou causest a blemish in my priest Yaakov. Michael said in astonishment, why it is I who am the, why it is I who am thy priest. But Allahiam said, thou art my priest in heaven and he is my priest on the earth. There's kind of some um, interesting ground there. Talk about, you know, is Michael, was Michael serving as a priest? There, I, I've never done a study on that. It's really interesting. I'd like to see where he's sourcing that information. Uh, thereupon, Michael summoned the archangel Raphael, saying, My uh, comrade, I pray thee, help me out of my distress, for thou art charged with the healing of all disease. And Raphael cured Yaakov of the injury Michael had inflicted. Um, okay, that's enough of that. But uh, you see, this you can see this just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, for lack of time, I'm not going to read all that. I put it there just in case. Let's continue with Paleo Bereshith. We're in uh, chapter 33. I need a drink of coffee. All right. Then Yaakov raised his eyes and saw that Esau approached after having this amazing night. Of course, both of them did, right? Both of them got theirs from angels. And 400 men with him. So he separated the children of Leah and Rachel and of the two secondary women and placed the secondary women and their children in the fronts. <laughs> he put the secondary women and the children in the front out. Uh, and Leah and her children next and Rachel and, uh, and, um, and Yosef behind. So you could see there that he, like Rachel, he really loves Rachel. He's like, he, you know, Leah, like he loved more than the two uh, secondary women. But uh, yeah, if something happened to Rachel before anyone else, he, you know, he wouldn't both sleep at night, right? But he passed to the front of them and bowed to the earth seven times while approaching his brother. But um, Esau rushed forwards and called to and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and wept. Now, in the, we're reading from the paleo, but my understanding is that this line right here in the Masoretic that the, the rabbis or the, the scribes, they put these like dot, 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 dot on top of the, uh, on the part where he embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed them and wept. Uh, 
And and this is like a part on the the trans describes to put great hesitation here. Uh, apparently, like or or maybe not so, so much hesitation as saying there's more to this going on, and that he wasn't being genuine. Remember now, Esau is a deceiver. Uh, and he had deceived Yitchak his whole life. And so even this is a bit of a performance. Maybe he's even fooling himself here. Uh, but we know that this is not who Esau truly is. In fact, uh, by the end of this Torah portion, Esau fades off and he's basically like, he just, he becomes Edom at this point. He's no longer even, you know, we, we see Yasharon Edom, just completely separate. Like he's sunk into who he is. Then he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and asked, who are these with you? And he replied, the children, which Allah has given me, your servants. So he asked, what is all this camp with you, which approached me? When he replied, to find favor in the eyes of my Adon. Esau, however, answered, I have plenty, my brother. Let your own remain to yourself. But Yaakov said, not so. If now I have found favor in your eyes, take a present from my hand, for certainly I have seen your face as if I had seen the face of Allah Hayam, and am delighted. Now do take the things which I have brought to you, for Allah Hayam has favored me, and because there is plenty for me as well. So he pressed them until he took them. And remember now, I mean, Yaakov is like, he, he remember like last week with the speckled goats or the sheep and all that, uh, you know, the black sheep and stuff, like it was, he knew that everything he had was given to him amazingly, miraculously by Yahuwah. And so, it's kind of like, you know, what's mine is yours, right? And this is the, the amazing heart that you also see uh, with Abraham, where, remember, Lot separated from him because he wanted private possession. And Abraham was just giving to everybody. And he just get, got richer and richer the more he gave. We see the same thing with Job, who happens to be the, um, the I think, the grandson of Esau, interestingly enough. Then he said, I will rise up and travel and we will go along together. But he answered him, my Adon knows that the children are many and the sheep and the cattle with me are breeding. So if we drive them a single day, then all the sheep will die. But let uh, Adoniah now go before me and I will be traveling at my ease according to the pace of the guy before me and the pace of the children until I come to my Adon at uh, Shayar. Uh, uh, I think that's Sierra, right? But uh, Esau said, I will then assign to you some of the people who are with me. And he replied, why, why have found this, uh, why have, well, I guess, why have I found this favor in the eyes of my Adon? So Esau returned that day on his journey to, uh, I think, again, that's here. But Yaakov pitched his tents and built himself a house and cattle yards, making him an encampment. Therefore, he called the name of the place uh, Sakawath. Afterwards, Yaakov went quietly to the village of Shalem, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his return from Padamaran, and encamped before the village and bought that part of the land where he pitched his tents. So he bought, buys a parcel of land just outside of Shechem from the hand of the son of um, Chama, Chamawar, the father of Shechem, for a hundred. Yataha. He also built an altar there and called them the name uh, Alahaya Yashiro. All right, now we get into the now we get into it. The um, the turn of events uh, turn of events for Dinah, his daughter. 
but it happened that uh and how do, how do we pronounce this for diana uh diane dianuha dianuha or dinah the daughter of leah leah whom she bore to yaakov went out to visit the women of the country and by the way before i forget um if anyone wants to pick up, uh, I'm not trying to make any book sales tonight, but if someone wants to pick up my book, uh, Mary Magdalene, Wife of Messiah, I have uh, I, I have like a couple chapters in there where I chronicle uh, Dinah and how she was raped and she had a daughter who we know as uh, Aseneth. Aseneth later married her uncle, uh, which would be Yosef, of course, through another mother. Uh, Dinah is the daughter of Leah, whereas... Um, Yosef is the mother of Rachel. Uh, anyways, uh, and uh, Dinah, and of course, so interesting enough, because everybody talks about how the 12 patriarchs, they get these tribes and Dinah, you know, she gets left out. Well, not so, because remember, Yosef gets a double portion, Ephraim and Manasseh. I think that's there because he marries Dinah's daughter. And so in a sense, Dinah is also a matriarch. She gets two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. And it's interesting that uh, her daughter, uh, it's through rape from a Canaanite. And so these are like the Goyim, and it's Ephraim and Manasseh that are grafted in, right? So I talked about earlier tonight about the 12 uh, uh, gates into New Jerusalem. And so you might be asking, well, you know, what, what, uh, what do I go to, you know, uh, uh, Dan or, you know, Manesha or, you know, uh, you know, Reuben, Levi, right? What do I pick? Um, and that's a whole study in itself, but it's, you know, obviously Ephraim. We're grafted in through Ephraim or Manesha. And those are, of course, you see the, um, the flags all over the world and so on and so forth from the Millennial Kingdom. So it's a really cool story. And also Dinah lived a very long life um, and she went on to marry Job. She went on to marry Esau's grandson, Job. And that's a whole another study in itself. Of course, Job went on to uh, live such a long life because he got a double portion uh, afterwards. Uh, he went on to live, believe it or not, if you can believe this. Um, uh, I, I crunched the numbers. I looked at it. I think the numbers uh, uh, pan out. He um, went on to see the exodus in Egypt. He was there for the exodus. I think Dinah was dead by that point, long before that point. All right, anyways. So Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she bore to Yaakov, went out to visit the women of the country. And Shechem, the son of, there's that man again, Chamuar, who sold uh, Yaakov his land, the chief of the country, saw and seized her. So it's Shechem um, who sees her and he wants her. And we've seen this problem time and again. Remember with... Um, with Abraham and Sharaha, with Abimelech and Pharaoh, and then Yitchak with Rivka. And it's like, they, they, you know, I went, we went through this where the king looks out the window or the prince and he sees a woman and he wants that woman. He takes her. He sees her and violated her. We know what that means and disgraced her. We know what that means. But his Nefash clung to Dinah, the daughter of Yaakov. Now that's really interesting because the idea is, is that generally if you were to, you know, this is why, like, you know, to all you women out there, you know, uh, you, you you run a hot dog cart. You don't run. You don't, you know, give out the hot dogs for free, right? 
Uh, and the thing is, is that when men get access to women really easily, they kind of despise them for ultimately, like, you know, they do what they want to do. And then they're like, they, 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 whatever words they said during intercourse, whatever they, they felt, it kind of leaves them afterwards, you know, after all that energy leaves them and they look at it and go like, oh, okay, I'm done with you. You know, I'll move on now. Um, and this is why it's so important to be in a relationship where there's mutual love, right? And it'd be an expression of that love. Obviously, what's interesting here about Shechem is that he has, um, I need to tie up my hair here because I'm like starting to sweat in here. He, he uh, feels a uh, lust towards Dinah, but it says, interestingly enough, the line, but his nefash clung to Dinah, the daughter of Yaakov afterwards. So that's, it's kind of like, that's not like the norm. And he loved the girl and spoke to the girl's heart. So Shechem, uh, so he's trying to like, he's trying to, he already violated her, but he's like, look, I want you for a woman. Like, please don't leave me. Like, I, I'm in love with you. Love at first sight. So Shechem spoke to uh, his father, commanding, get me this girl for a woman. And, you know, he, he might have been, he probably would have been a success, uh, or he might have been had he just gone to his father first, right? Gone through the right channels. Yaakov, however, heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah, but his sons were at the fold in the field, so Yaakov kept silence until they returned. Uh, if we, if there's time, I'm going to read from Jasher, where it talks about why she was separated from her brothers. Uh, it, in Shechem, uh, they actually had a festival for women, and um, which was, I guess, a great opportunity for sexual predators, right? But uh, Dinah went with her mother, Leah, to like a women's festival, like the men were not invited. And um, so that's why they weren't there. They're out working in the fields. Uh, then the father of Shechem came to Yaakov to speak to him, but the son of, but the sons of Yaakov returned from the field upon hearing it. And they were pretty angry about it, as you would imagine. And the men were grieved and very angry at it for he had done and uh, for, for what he had done uh, in, uh, to, in violating the daughter of Yaakov which ought not to be done in Yasharel. But uh, Chamuar, if I'm pronouncing the father's name right, spoke to them declaring, my son Shechem is attached by his nefash to your daughter. Therefore, give her to him for a woman and you can give your girls to us and we can give ours to you to take for yourselves and you can dwell among us and the land shall be before you. Reside and travel about and possess it. Of course, you know, we know that they were not to mix with the Canaanites. So I, I, I guess I take that back. I don't think it would have, uh, I, don't, I don't think they would have handed Dinah off um, initially. And uh, we'd see, of course, like I said, she, and finally she married uh, Job after his first wife died. She was not the, the wife that, uh, that died uh, in the book of Job. Then Shechem said to her father and her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you ask of me, I will give it. Keep upon me a great dowry and settlement, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the girl for a woman. There's some great temptation here. I mean, she's already been defiled, right? And according to the Torah, um, you know, they're, they're playing out the Torah here. Like, they do not have to hand the woman over. And um, I'm sure they were greatly tempted, right? Because she's been defiled now. Who's she, who's she going to marry now, right? They've, they've just She's lost her bride price. Like, what man is going to want to know? Then the sons of Yaakov answered Shechem and uh, his father deceitfully, because they said he has corrupted our sister Dinah. So they replied, we are unable to do such a thing as to give our sister to an uncircumcised man. 
for that would be a reproach to us. Yet, if you will agree with us that, like us, every male of you should be circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to us, and will reside with you and be one people. But if you will not listen to us, then we will take our sister and depart. And the idea was good in the eyes of Shechem, the son of uh, Chamuar. So the youth did not delay to do the thing, for he had an affection for the daughter of Yaakov. And he was the heaviest with splendor of all his father's house. So Shechem and his father, uh, or Chamuar and his son Shechem, went to the gate of their village and addressed the men of their town, saying, These men are peaceable with us, therefore allow them to travel in it. For behold, the land lies open to their hands and before their faces. We would wish to take their daughters to us for women and give our daughters to them. However, the men will only unite with us in this way to reside with us and to be one people. By our circumcising every male of us as they are circumcised, their herds and blah, 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 uh, their herds and possessions and all they have. Will they not be ours if we agree with them and they reside with us? This is kind of like, like a Trojan horse in a way. And all who sat in the gate of the village listened, therefore, to Ch uh, Chamor and Shechem, his son, and they circumcised every male who came to the gate of the town. Now, I'll, I'll probably read some of Jasher. Jasher goes on and on with the descriptions. It's just incredible, the scene as it plays out. I don't think there'll be time for that tonight, for the whole thing. But on the third day when they were in pain for the circumcision. So, you, I mean, you guys all know the story. I mean, like <laughs> all the dudes in the town are keeled over in pain, you know, you know, holding themselves and lovingly. And uh, and so Simon and uh, Levi, or let's see if I can get their names, Shama uh, Yuan and uh, looks like Luau almost, La, La Yua, but these are, of course, Levi and Simon, the two sons of Yaakov, brothers of Dinah. And, of course, they are, they. I think they're all sons of Leah. I, I have to double check, but I think uh, Simon and Levi uh, are sons of Leah, just as Dinah is. Each took his sword and went into the village quietly and slew every male. They also slew Chamuar and his son Shechem with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from the house of Shechem and went away. In, in like the, the <laughs> oh, I'll have to read it in Jasher. It's almost like it reminds me, Shechem reminds me of like Pippi Le Pew in uh, the Looney Tunes. And he's like, he, he's up on the balcony and he's got Dinah and he's like, mm, he's like kissing her, you know, up there. And, uh, you know, he's like, a, he's like a French villain almost. And, uh, and they're just, you know, they're just getting just beyond, beyond anger. And he's just, you know, um, uh, Levi and, and Simon. Then the sons of Yaakov came on the booty and plundered the town, which had defiled their sister. They took the sheep, the cattle, and the asses, and the wealth in the village, and the wealth in the field, and captured their youths and little children and women, and plundered all the furnishings in the house. Now, this, if this were a movie, okay, like, you know, you couldn't even make Jasher into a movie because it would be too long. But this in itself, it would almost be like this would be the beginning of Braveheart. Like, you think that, like, this is all there is to it. You know, this is like the first 20 minutes of the movie. And then as a result of this, this entire war breaks out that Genesis doesn't talk about. But this war goes on and on and on and on, and it goes all the way to the kings of Nineveh. And these 12 sons 
as a result of this, like the kings of the earth come down on these guys. It's absolutely incredible. And it's like one battle, they win it, and you're like, it's over, right? Nope, another battle, and then another battle, and they just go on. And they're like these these twelve these uh, actually uh, Yosef uh, does not take part in take part in it, and Benjamin isn't born yet, so. It's just 10 dudes. These 10 dudes are like storming castles and it's pretty crazy stuff. And uh, for all you fans out there of uh, Jubilees who aren't big on Jasher, Jubilees is pretty crazy too with the wars that happen. But Yaakov said to Simon and, and Levi, you have stirred up trouble for me. And indeed they have. You have made me to have a noxious smell to the inhabitants of the land. <laughs> That's a great line. To the uh, to the Canaanites and the uh, uh, Berizea, I think those are the uh, is that the Philistines? I'm not quite sure. I'd have to double check that. I, unfortunately, I got sorry. I was in and double check that today. And I, being few in number, they will outnumber me and will smite me and destroy me in my house. They, however, answered, "Ought they to use our sister as a harlot?" So it, it's you. You really see here, interesting enough, like Yaakov, like he's been trusting of Yahuwah up to this point. But now he's like, oh, now we're in deep. Do you guys realize what you've done? Like, it was one thing with Esau, but now you have just upset all the kings. Like, we live in the wild, wild west here, and there's, like, giants and, you know, Rephim and, you know, all these different kings and stuff. Like, like you have upset all these people. And <clears throat> their, their response is incredible. Like, and, of course, Levi was, you know, one of the, uh, one of the zealous ones. I remember what the son of Aaron did to the the uh, the couple having you know intercourse there uh, with uh, Balaam. He went and stuck a you know spear through them, right? And they're basically like, "Look, however whatever happens to us, that's not the point. What they did to our sister was wrong. They treated her as a whore, and we will not. It doesn't matter if we die. It doesn't matter. Like it, like this is a very chivalrous attitude they have. Like you know sh her reputation." is is of greater value than our lives and now her reputation has been drugged down into the mud where you know it is below our lives right but you know it should be the opposite Allah Hayam afterwards said to Yaakov arise go to uh Bethel and reside and make and make there to uh made there to your Allah who appeared to you in your flight from your brother Esau all right so let's see. Do I want with the time we have? Do I want to read this whole story? It's a great story. Um, let's see what I can get through here. Uh, I will not be able to read like chapter thirty-four and thirty-five because, guys, this like it goes on and on and on with these battles. They're epic. You have to read them on your own. This is why I say like with these tour portions, it just doesn't give me enough time to do it. It would take me like I wish I could take like like ten years to get through the Torah, right? Just line for line. And in some time after Yaakov went away from the borders of the land, he became to the land of uh, Shalem, that is the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, and he rested in front of the city. And it, the reason, I'm, of course, I mean this, it gives more details. And he brought, he bought a parcel of the field which was there from the children of Hamor, the people of the land, for five shekels. And Yaakov there built himself a house, and he pitched his tent there, and he made booze for his cattle. Therefore, he called his the name of that place <clears throat> Sukkoth which seems to be kind of similar to Sukkot, right? He pitched his tent there. Essentially, he built, it says he built himself a house too. He built himself a house and pitched tents. And Yaakov remained in Sukkot a year and six months. 
At that time, some of the women of the inhabitants of the land went to the city of Shechem to dance and rejoice with the daughters of the people of the city. So it was like a festival for women. And when they went forth, uh, then Rachel and Leah, the wives of Yaakov, with their families also went to behold the rejoicing of the daughters of the city. And of course, Rachel didn't have any daughters. She just had one son at this point. And Dinah, the daughter of uh, Yaakov, I almost thought that was a misprint there. I was like, wait, what? That's true, yeah. Um, I was thinking of Yehuda for some reason. But Dinah, the daughter of Yaakov, also went along with them and saw the daughters of the city. And they remained there before these daughters while all the people of the city were standing by them to behold their rejoicings. And all the great people of the city were there. And Shechem, the son of Hamor, the prince of the land, was also standing there to, to see them. Like, why, right? It's like all the, the men are gone and he's there checking out all the babes. And Shechem beheld Dinah, the daughter of Yaakov, sitting with her mother before the daughters of the city, and the damsel pleased them greatly. Uh, and he there asked his friends and his people, saying, whose daughter is that sitting amongst the women whom I do not know in the city? I personally think this is what did it, because I think he was looking around, and he goes like, I mean, there's only so many people in the city, right? And he's looking around and going, okay, I, know, I recognize those girls and those girls. You know, I've had them before, you know. But he sees her, and he's like, like, whoa, who's this? I've never seen her before. I've got to have her because I may never see her again. She's going to leave after this. She's going to be gone. So I think that's kind of what did it. And they said unto him, surely this is the daughter of Yaakov, the son of Yitchak, the Hebrew, who has dwelt in the city for some time. And when it was reported that the daughters of the land were going forth, and they say he dwelt in the city for some time, but obviously they're, uh, they're living outside of the city, uh, pitched a tent out there. And it was reported that the daughters of the land were going forth to rejoice. She went with her mother and made servants to sit amongst them as thou seest. And, and it's sad, like she's sitting there with her mom, you know. And Shechem beheld Dinah, the daughter of Yaakov. And when he looked at her, his soul became fixed upon Dinah. And he sent and had her taken by force. And, and of course, you know, her mother couldn't do anything, right? It's probably armed guards. They just came and grabbed her. And Dinah came, and they probably knew what was happening immediately. And Dinah came to the house of Shechem, and he seized her forcibly and lay with her and humbled her. And he loved her exceedingly and placed her in his house. I mean, it's like, it's interesting words put side by side there. He humbled her and he loved her, right? And it's it's like, obviously, this is a very selfish love. It's kind of interesting if you read uh, the book of Enoch. One of the things that really initially stood out to me several years ago when I first read it was how it said the watchers loved their children and they loved them and they had to watch them get destroyed. And it's like, what? These fallen angels loved? And it, so it's interesting that love is not exclusive to, I mean, wicked entities can also love. Kind of interesting. Even if it's selfish, you know, they, they can love. And they came and told the thing into Yaakov. And when Yaakov heard that Shechem had defiled his daughter Dinah, Yaakov sent 12 of his servants to fetch Dinah from the house of Shechem. And they went and came to the house of Shechem to take away Dinah, uh, take away Dinah from there. And when they came, Shechem went out to them with his men and drove them from his house. And he would not suffer them to come before Dinah. But this is what I like the pip, the Pepe Le Pew moment. But Shechem was sitting with Dinah, kissing and embracing her before their eyes. You could, I could, yeah, I could just like picture like Yehuda and Levi and uh, and uh, and Shimon just like like you know just their faces burning you know like like you know like like Yosemite Sam with like you know Bugs Bunny or something like that like just getting ready just to massacre this guy as you know he's making out with their sister 
And Yaakov knew, moreover, that Shechem had defiled his daughter, but he said nothing. And his sons were feeding his cattle in the field, and Yaakov remained silent till their return. And before his sons came home, Yaakov sent two maidens from his servant's daughters to take care of Dinah in the house of Shechem and to remain with her. And uh, so this is interesting. So uh, these two maidens that are sent in are kind of like spies. And um, they're, they're there so Dinah can pass notes. He's like, he's, he's telling Shechem, look, look, she needs these maidens. And he's like, okay, I can agree to that, right? I want to make it comfortable for her. And to remain with her. And Shechem sent three of his friends to his father, Hamor, the son of uh, Chittichem, uh, the son of Perid, saying, get me this damsel for a wife. Um, okay, do I want to read this whole thing? You guys know how the story goes. Um, but uh, let's see here. What's really interesting is that Dinah in this uh, sends, as I mentioned, her two maidens to let them know what's going to happen. Um, okay, let's see. Well, man, I wish I had highlighted where it was because this is a long passage. I don't have time to read it all. Uh, but anyways, um, they basically go in and they deceive the people of Shechem. It explains in Jasher because they get word that um, they were not going to keep their end of the bargain and Dinosaur's word. So anyways, you could see all this. I'm passing over. Like, I just don't have time to read this. And then we see Yasher chapter 34 and 35, two more chapters where this epic battle goes on and on. Let's just see if I can pass through this. You guys see this. It's just, it's like Lord of the Rings epic. Um, just incredible stuff. Um, needing lots of stuntmen and probably CG uh, to make it work. On screen, keeps going and going. We're on page 47 of this document. It just keeps going and going. All right, let's get back to Paleo Bereshia. Don't you guys wish you had another few hours? Maybe just go through it all. Yaakov destroys the idols of his family and servants. And this is what just really, like, when I was even reading this today, I mean, I've read through the Torah, you know, so many times now, and, and it's always new things that strike me. I'm like, wait, what? They still have idols in their household after... After they went through all of this here, you know, they they brought idols. We know about how Rivka brought her father's idols to hide them. And I guess this is the thing with Leah and, um, I'm not Rivka, I'm sorry, Leah and Rachel. Rivka would be uh, Yaakov's mom. I get all the names mixed up. Uh, Leah and Rachel still, they were still learning. They were kind of coming into this relationship with Yahuwaha and they hadn't given up all their idols yet. And this is part of what is what makes them so merciful and gracious towards us is we each all of us go down this journey and we have to give things up and we realize, you know, the sin in our lives and these idols we have in our lives. And that's one of the amazing things about Yahuwaha, how he still works with us and he shows us grace and mercy. So Yaakov commanded to his family and all who were with him, depart from the Alahaya Nukar, the foreign gods, which are among you and purify yourselves and change your clothes and let us be rising. I, I love that there where he says two things, purify yourselves and change your clothes. Now to purify themselves, uh, we went through all the wells and all that kind of stuff. Probably would have been like a baptismal type of thing, a um, kind of a mikvah, kind of going down into the waters, cleansing themselves, new clothes, uh, almost like a, a symbolic of the Ruach HaKadosh. 
and we will go to Baathal, and I will there build an altar to the Alahayam who petted me in the time of my distress and was with me in the journey that I went. They therefore gave to Yaakov all the Alahaya Nuhar, which were in their hands. How many there were, we don't know, but this is like a plurality of idols they have here. You know, it's like when Abraham, when Abraham left uh, Mesopotamia, like he left all, you know, he destroyed his father's idols. He left them all behind. It's just crazy to think about that. He brought all these idols out with him. And the earrings that were in their ears. That one's for you, ladies. You guys can just discuss amongst yourselves. I have no commentary on that. And Yaakov buried them under the oak, which was near Shechem. Then they marched in a terror from Alahayam was upon their neighbors. And they did not pursue after the sons of Yaakov. So it's kind of interesting here now, according to this, if we're just taking this in the context of this passage, the terror a terror from Alahayam, the Most High, falls on all their neighbors in Canaan after they remove the idols, right? Like there's there's something here about like the power of the Ruach Kakadesh was with them at this point. And of course, when you take in the other books into account, I'm thinking by this time that they had just massacred, you know, this, this war, again, again, according to some of these other books, it, it appeared like this war went all the way out to Nineveh. I mean, just massive, huge war that went on. And they did not pursue after the sons of Yaakov. So Yaakov came to Luz in the hands of uh, Canaan. It is Baethel, and his people were with him. He also built an altar there and called the house of Alahayam, uh, Bethel, for there Alahayam appeared to him in his flight from the face of his brother. But uh, uh, Deborah the nurse of Rebecca or Rivka. Uh, Deborah, the nurse of Rivka, this would be Yahuwah's mother's nurse, died. And he and he buried uh, and buried here between Beth uh, Bethel and Alawan and called the name of the place Oak of Weeping. All right. Another divine appearance to Yaakov and promises from Alahayam. Now, Alahayam also appeared another time to Yaakov on his return from Padam Aram and spoke with him, at which time Alahayam said to him, isn't it interesting too, just keep, pay attention guys, that when it, we've been through this before, when it talks about Alahayam versus Yahuwaha. Now, just as a reminder for anyone who might be tuning in this week, maybe you weren't here in past weeks, Yahuwaha, or you could say Yahuwah or Yahweh. He is also a Alahayam, or he is an Elohim. But the theory we're going with here, and I am in complete uh, agreement with uh, Pamela, the translator, that Alahayam, all capital, is the father. All right. So sometimes we see, see them kind of together, Alahayam and Yahuwaha together. Of course, Yahuwaha, Yahweh, would be the son, who is the same as Yahushua Mashiach. Sometimes they're together, sometimes they're separate. Sometimes there's a vision with Alahayam, the father, uh, sometimes with Yahuwaha. It's kind of interesting how it kind of interplay. Sometimes it's Alahayam who promises something, and then Yahuwaha follows through with it. Your name shall no longer be called Yaakov, for Yasharel shall be your name. So he called his name Yasharel. Now, remember, we already went through this with the uh, the the man he wrestled, who I believe was an angel, 
Uh, I don't need to repeat all that. Uh, the name Yashua was announced, but here we see Allah Hayam coming in and saying, yeah, that's, that's your name. You're going to be called that from now on. So he called his name Yashua, and Allah Hayam said to him, I am Al Shaddaiah. Be fruitful and multiply. Pamela, what's your thoughts on that, uh, on El Shaddai? And, uh, you know, El Shaddai means the destroyer. That's one of the names. And um, it could mean a few things, but uh, it seems to be the destroyer. So I kind of find it interesting that we have, he says, I am the destroyer. Be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> it's like it's, there's a contrast right there. If I'm translating that right, uh, a nation and well, and we'll see more about El Shaddai with uh, the Exodus account. You know. A nation and an assembly of people shall come from you, and kings shall proceed from your loins. And the land which I gave to Abraham and Yitzhak, I will give to you, and the same land I will give to you and your seed after you. Now, again, I think this is like a dual thing here. I think he's talking about the physical land there, but I think he's also talking what I started with. The land of inheritance, which I believe is in the other side of the realm, um, the greater realm. It's funny how, like, you know, I talk to so many flat earthists and they totally get it. They say that this we're not a spinning globe hurtling through a vacuum of space. Um, but then as soon as you talk about like a greater realm, like with the moon map, all of a sudden, like the, the Copernican programming comes in and they're like, no, you don't believe that, do you? I'm like, they'll, they'll say that. Do you really believe that? I'm like, God, I think this realm is huge. I think it's much bigger than what is advertised. Then Allah Hayam went up from him from the place where he spoke with him. So Yaakov erected a pillar at the place where he had spoken with them, a pillar of stone, and poured a uh, libation upon it and poured oil upon it. And Yaakov also called the name of that place where Allah Hayam spoke with him, uh, Bethel or Bethel. He afterwards marched from there and had gone some distance into the country towards uh, uh, Ephrathaha when uh, Rachel was taken in labor and the childing went hard with her. Uh, but when she was delivered with labor, the midwife said to her, be not downhearted for this child is a son. Why are they, why are they saying be not dis uh, downhearted? Because the labor is not going well for her. They know she's on her way out. Like she's not going to survive this. So they're saying, Look, your child, like, you're not going to make, well, they're not telling her that. It's what they're thinking. You're not going to make it. But they're like, look, you've got a son, you know, kind of like the last word she hears, right? It's a son. But in the lifting up of her nefash, for she was dying, she ca called out his name, son of my anguish. Wow. I mean, she's like naming him after the pains of her labor, knowing she's not making it out of here. But his father called him. Uh, uh, Benjamin, or Banyu Yamayan, son of my right hand. So Rachel died, and they buried her on the path to um, um, Aprathuha, which is near, uh, that's, that's Bethlehem there, Beth, Le Beth Lechem, Bethlehem. And Yaakov erected a pillar over her tomb. Then Yasharel marched from there and pitched his tent at the encampment of uh, Magadol, Adar, and it was while Yasharel resided in that country that Reuben walked and laid down with uh, Belha or Balahaha, his father's paramour, and the Yasharel heard of it. All right. So it's kind of a sad end here for a Rachel. And, you know, it's interesting, like, I, I, I want to find really good 
like commentary on this. I, I really haven't settled this in my mind, but you know, she was the one that uh, brought the 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 idols that with the the chopped off heads with like the tongues and like the the gold plates on them right out from her father Laban. And uh, she was the one that, you know, sat on them and said she wasn't going to rise when Laban was inspecting the tent because she was in her time of the month. Uh, we still see, it's interesting, we still see these, um, I mean, she's kind of a sad story, you know. She's the one that really struggled all these years to have children. And, uh, you know, she finally throws out all the idols and then she dies. It's kind of a, it's kind of a sad story. She died, um, according to Jasher, if we get to that tonight, I think she was 45 years old when she died which was incredibly young back then. It's young today, but it's incredibly young back then. Registry of Yaakov's sons. These are the 12 sons of Yaakov. The firstborn by Leah to Yaakov was Reuben, then Simon, then Levi, then Yehuda, then Yishakar, then Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Yosef and Benjamin, or Benu Yamayam. And the sons of Balahaha, or Belha. The maid servant of Rachel was Dan and Naphtali, except this is Naphathuliah. And the sons of Zelpah, or Zelapaha, the maid servant of Leah was Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Yaakov who were born to him in Padamaram. Yaakov afterwards went to his father Yitchak at, at, uh, at Mamara, near the city of Arabah where Abraham and Yitchak dwelt. And the days of Yitchak were 180 years. 180. That's old. Though Job lived longer. Then Yitchak breathed out his life and died and was added to his people, old and satisfied with years. And uh, Esau and Yaakov, his sons, buried him. So there's, I think, uh, one of the last meetings of... Uh, is that I don't I don't want to say for sure, but that might be the last recorded meeting of Esau and Yaakov at the funeral, right? And when you have a falling out with family, that's kind of where you all meet at the funeral. The history of Esau continued. Now, these are the descendants of Esau. Um, I'm gonna try to read through some of this. Uh, you guys can see what I have left here. Not much left with the Torah portion. Um these, I'm just going to butcher these names. So uh, let's see if I can get through a couple of paragraphs and I'll have a little bit more commentary before closing up. Now, these are the descendants of Esau, who is uh, uh, Edom. All right. And that's what's important right there. So it just said now he's Edom. So now we have two separate people. He is completely removed from Yasharel. He is no longer the spiritual heritage. He is now Edom, the great villain of the Bible. Um, you know, that's another thing I could have covered tonight. All the prophecies about Edom. And as I've, as I've pointed out that um, a lot of people, they, they say that uh, modern Israel, I did for the longest time. And I used to like talk about this, how modern Israel is Edom. Um, I no longer hold that to be the case. I cannot find any uh, genetic reason to come to those conclusions. Um, you know, I guess I'll go there, right? I'm going to have this conversation right with you guys right now on live camera. Um, I've already had it so many times. Uh, obviously, you know, the people living in the lands come from the line of uh, Japheth, right? Which makes them non-Semitic, right? And then you're like, oh, you're an anti-Semite. Well, yes, they're, they're not. 
<laughs> they're they're like they have Turkish blood, they have things like that, but they're they're like DNA tested. They're out there. They're not the line of shin. All right. So, um, but they're not Edom either. All right. They're not Esau. So, uh, the line of Edom, for all I know, has come to an end. I don't know if they still exist, uh, but they, you know, they were punished severely. Uh, but we, uh, the land of Edom was fried. I think it was burnt up. But we know that uh, uh, Herod was from Edom. He was an Edomite. And so you see that the the Edomites came into the temple, became the priests. They became the uh, ruling king there, the puppet king. And uh, they were the ones that finally offed Yahushua HaMashiach. If you remember my uh, my series, I, did, I wrote a book, a commentary on uh, Bazar Kepha, the Gospel of Peter, in which it made very clear that uh, Pontius Pilate washed his hands. He was not an Edomite. Uh, he, the Romans did not crucify him. Herod's like, I got him. And they went and they uh, they crucified him. Herod and the uh, his Edomite cohorts, who were the temple controllers, the Pharisee, the Parashim. Uh, so you see right here, we see the separation. We, Yasharel, Edom, right there. And then, of course, we have all their descendants. Um, Esau took two women of Canaan, uh, Adeha, the daughter of uh, Elawan, the, uh, the Chathuya, but that's like the Hittite. And, of course, they're Canaanites. And he took this other woman, the daughter of another Hittite. And, uh, and so this is probably why he was so well positioned with the 400 men to assault, or he didn't assault Yaakov. Uh, uh, he had so many names, I just can't keep them all straight. Uh, but he wanted to, right? And probably he was so well positioned to do that because of his political ties with the Canaanites. Uh, you see that Yaakov and his family is very estranged from the Canaanites, where Esau was on really good terms with them. All right. Um, another thing, I'm not so... Uh, so afterwards, Esau took his women and his sons and daughters and all the persons of his house and the flocks and all his cattle and all property which he had acquired in the land of Canaan and left the land from the face of his brother Yaakov, for their possessions were too great to remain together. It's almost like Lot and Abraham all over again, but... Um, uh, you know, I think at this point, Esau, I, I think, I personally think he saw what his nephews, Yaakov's sons were doing, destroying all these cities. And he was just like, dang, <laughs> just like we could not do that. And I don't think, I think like he just, he knew when to cash it in. And he's like, yeah, I, I'm up and out of here. And from then on, of course, he went to eat them. So. For the land was not able to lodge both of them because of their herds, so Esau remained in Mount Seir. And it says that that's uh, Edom. All right. All right. So I'm, I'm not going to read over all these names. There's a bunch of names here. I'm just going to butcher them for you guys. Uh, one thing that um, I was talking to Pamela about, and I was trying to find in here where it said that Jobab was the the so Esau was the first king, then there was another king who was Esau's son, and then the third was Jobab, uh, Jobab or Yav, who is Job. Uh, and I was trying to find that, and I was like, "Where is it?" And she said, "Oh, it's not in this uh, document because uh, kind of interesting footnote uh, that that it's not in the earliest manuscripts that they could find. Uh, the idea is is that a somebody else came along and kind of added that in at a later time." So take that what you uh, uh, take that for what it's worth, 
And uh, though she said that she's going to add it back into the document, it's kind of like footnotes um, added on there. So, um, so I had here, oh yeah, uh, this will be a few more notes here to end on. I'm going to uh, scan down and show you guys. I was going to read from Jubilees. I have not broken into Jubilees yet this whole time. It is so epic when, uh, when uh, Yitchak dies and then Esau makes up in his mind, I'm I'm going to kill you. He like rides up. So Yaakov is now in the tower that was that Yitchak built. And he rides up with his men and his sons and they're going to, you know, wipe them out. It's this great confrontation. I don't know if we're going to have time for that tonight, but let's end here on. So maybe I'll get to that next year. Maybe I'll spend more time in Jubilees next year. The Testament of Yitchak. So let's see what this says. Um, Oh, yeah. This is on, uh, if you guys remember, I, I, I've been kind of really interested in doppelgangers recently and how the the different angels or the divine beings, maybe even the stars, are, are doppelgangers. Maybe our, our guardian angels, are they look just like us. And that was, people were like, eh, it wasn't really interested, interesting to a lot of people. I find it really fascinating. So let's see what this says here. This is Yitchak on his deathbed, so it's really appropriate because he just died. Um uh, in this Torah portion. Now it came to pass when the time had come for the patriarch Yitchak to go forth from the body. Elihim sent to him the angel of his father, Abraham. So uh, the angel of Abraham is coming, right? That's the context. At dawn on the 22nd of Missouri, he said to him, Hail, son of promise. Now is the daily custom of the righteous old man Yitchak to converse with the angels. Um, not surprising, we've seen other. <clears throat> people in scripture um miriam the mother of yahusha also conversed with the angels for her the entirety of her uh, life leading up to the birth he lifted his face up to the face of the angel he saw him assuming the like now this is interesting because remember yitchak now um is he's kind of blinded he can't see he's been blinded for a long time if you guys remember the reason why this is ascribed to his blindness is at the time of the sacrifice Oh, it's really raining right now. At the time of the sacrifice, uh, like his eyes were blinded when he saw like the glories of heaven. <clears throat> he saw him. Okay, he lifted up his eyes to the face of the angel. He saw him assuming the likeness of his father, Abraham. And he opened. So here's a doppelganger. Now we have Abraham's doppelganger angel. And he opened his mouth and raised his voice and cried out in great joy. I have seen your face like someone who has seen the face of Elohim. This is the lace of Elohim, but. I think it should say face of Elohim. The angel said to him, listen, my beloved Yitchak, I have been, now keep in mind that um, Yaakov said the same thing to Esau. I have seen your face like I have seen the face of Allah Hayam. Maybe that was in the Jasher passage. I'm not sure. The angel said to him, listen, my beloved Yitchak, I have been sent for you by Elohim to take you to the heavens and set you beside your father, Abraham. So again, this angel is not saying he is Abraham. He just happens to look like Abraham. He's Abraham's angel. So that you can see. So he's like Abraham sends him as a messenger. His doppelganger. So that you can see all the saints. For your father is expecting you and is coming for you himself. Behold, the throne has been set up for you close to your father Abraham. And your lot and your beloved son Yaakov's lot will surpass that of all others in the whole of Elohim's creation. That is why you have been given uh, forevermore the name of patriarch and father of the world. But the Elohim loving old man, Yitchak, said to the angel, I am astonished by you, for you are my father. 
The angel answered, my beloved Yitzhak, I am the angel that ministers to your father Abraham. So he's saying, I'm not your father, even though I look just like him. But rejoice now, for I am to take you out of sorrow into gladness, out of suffering to rest forever. I am to transport you from prison to a place where you can arrange a will. All right. Um, my, my building theory on this, but the doppelgangers, is that uh, they may be the stars. Uh, and one of the reasons why the stars come and go, you guys have heard me say this, that we think that they're just there permanently. And people come up to me all the time like, well, Noel, if, if you're true and the, you know, the, the millennial kingdom happened, revelation was fulfilled, why are there still stars? I see stars up there. I'm like, well, stars, you know, they're, they're like, why didn't the stars follow this guy? The stars can come and go. They can lose their authority and fall and they can, you know, reappear. I think that the constellations are consistent throughout history, but I really question some of these other stars. And they may be a reflections of the uh, set apart on the earth. I think that's a very real possibility. Uh, so that's something I'll be looking into more. And then here's just a, a couple of passages on Job or Jobab, the grandson of Esau, because, of course, we're going to be parting here with Esau and his descendants. This man is described in this. Uh, this comes from the Septuagint, the LXX. This man is described in the Syriac, Syriac book, living in the land of Ossus on the borders of uh, Idumea and Arabia. And of course, Idumea, that's like straight up language that, uh, that Josephus talks about the Edomites. And his name before was Jobab or Jobab. And having taken an Arabian wife, he begot a son whose name was Enon. Now, the Arabian wife was not a Dinah. That was his first wife. And he himself was the son of his father, Zer, one of the sons of Esau. So, so he was the, the second in line, right? Zer is the, the son of, um, of Esau. He is the son of uh, Zer. And, and of his mother, Bezorha, uh, so that he was the fifth from Abraham or Abram. So uh, Job was the fifth from Abraham. All right, we read this in the Testament of Job. Great book. I think I went over this with the group a few years ago at this point. For I am the son of the I am of the sons of Esau. My brother is Nahor, and your mother is Dinah. Now, this is not the Arabian woman. By her have I become your father, for my first wife died with my other ten children in better death. Here now, children, and I will reveal unto you what happened to me. I was a very rich man living in the eastern land of Uz, and before Yahuwah uh, hand named me Job, I was called Jobab. So you see that there where Esau named him Jobab or whatever the equivalent is in, you know, the paleo and he was renamed by Yahuwah. So you actually see that even though the Edomites were not necessarily good news and they were very envious of, um, of Yasharel, we see an exception with Job, just like we saw with Eliezer. Remember, Eliezer is the son of Nimrod, but he came under the service of Abraham, he recognized that, you know, that the, the, the journey, uh, Yahuwah had blessed Abraham. He came under him. We see the same thing with Job. And he was one of the exceptions to the rule where he took Dinah as a wife. He was, I think, grafted in as a Hebrew. Uh, he was there. Uh, the last we hear of him, according to the Aramaic Targum, was during the Exodus account that he was there, that he was spared from the, uh, the plagues. And, um, I don't know if he went out with ex, uh, with Israel. I don't know if he stayed behind. That's where we lose sight of him. He was probably a very old man. And it seemed like he lived just long enough to see Yahuwah at work and see Yasharel get freed. And it seemed like that was the whole point. And he probably died after that. 
And of course, we see here in the Exodus Targum, of, as I just mentioned, Job or Yahweh, who reverenced the word of Yahuwah, Yahuwah, among the servants of Pharaoh, gathered together his servants and his flocks within the house, meaning that they weren't stricken by the plague. He knew what to do. All right. I'm going to end there tonight. Um, I'm obviously not going to read through Jubilees 31. Thank you, everybody who came in and uh, participated in this. I hope you guys enjoyed uh, me kind of reading from these extra books and kind of trying to fill in the bigger picture. I wish I could fill it in more for you guys. There's just so much here. I mean, I was skipping over whole chapters in Jub uh, Jasher that you didn't even see on the page. I was skipping over stuff on the page. And there's so much stuff uh, to fill in this picture, uh, as you see Jubilee's here. Um, I'm going to be taking about a 10-minute break, turning off this video. I'm going to be back to talk about Book of Creation. And that's just an epic, uh, epic story. I'll be explaining that as I get into it. So um, with that, let's do this again next week. And I, if you have made it this far to the end of the video, um, then congratulations. <laughs> Uh, because I think like the average person watches like a video for like, uh, if they can make it 10 minutes, they're doing really good. Uh, but, uh, we meet every week, uh, my discord page at the unexpected cosmology at, let's see, uh, I guess it's seven o'clock Eastern time. And we have a two hour, uh, pre-meetup, great conversation, always enjoy it. And then we come over here, make it a tradition in your households and, um, do this again next week. All right, shalom, guys, or Shabbat shalom.